evening, everybody, or good morning if you're in Singapore. <laughs> uh, so we we will continue on. We're on the chapter uh, about Buddha nature, and last time we talked about Buddha nature. It's not called Buddha nature, but the potential of sentient beings, according to the um, the Pali system, yeah. And now we're going to get into it according to the Vipassakas and Satantrakas, and then the Chidamadras, and then after that, the Madhyamakas, who have a lot to say about this. And, uh, yeah, keep going. And then the, the Vajrayana view as well. Okay. So, we, you know, I think this whole section is quite important because people, there's, there's some, uh, terms that we, we use very glibly, um, and we don't really know what they mean. And I think Buddha nature is one of them. Yeah. Because you hear, oh, I can become a, a Buddha. I have the Buddha nature. Everybody has the Buddha nature, including the grasshoppers and the turkeys and, you know, and Dawa, and Dawa and Devi. Yeah. And then there's another one, too. I don't know. Maybe he's Douglas. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, he, he's he's big. Um, okay. So, uh, you know, they all have Buddha nature. So we kind of say that. But what in the world does it mean? It's comforting. But if somebody comes up and asks you, uh, what do you mean by Buddha nature? I mean, you can say, oh, the potential to become fully awakened. And if somebody says, well, what is that? Uh, how are you going to respond? Uh, uh, oh, there's many different ways to describe it. That's a nice vague answer, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, so that's why it's it's important here, not just so we can answer other people's questions, but so that we can understand ourselves, you know, what the path is about and what in the world we're trying to do. Okay, because it's also very easy to think of the Buddha nature as like a perfect soul, yeah, and in some descriptions, for example, in the Mahaparinirvana Sutra, um, they talk about the Buddha as um, as pure, blissful, self, and uh, permanent. So the opposite of the four distorted ideas yeah did you, you see that the four distorted ideas of foul and dukkha and um uh, dukkha uh selfless and impermanent yeah and so that uh text talks about it uh, as having those four so what in the world does that mean? Yeah, actually, that's in volume nine, so you're going to really have to wait 
a while till we get to that one. Okay, we'll stick with some easier things. But my point is, you know, at some point we, we should understand this, otherwise we're going to get really confused. Yeah. Okay, so let's start uh, with visualizing the merit field and ourselves surrounded by sentient beings. So, uh, take a moment and think, how do I relate to the merit field? What is the, the attitude that I should uh, approach the merit field with? So, uh, when creating your motivation, take a minute and contemplate that question that I asked at the beginning. What kind of attitudes uh, should we approach the three jewels with? And you can relate that to some of the discussions we've had. Do we approach the three jewels like they're... Um, Author, author, authority figures that are telling us what to do and threatening us with lower rebirths if we uh, don't do it properly. Do we approach them um, with skepticism, ready to uh, doubt this, doubt that, refute? all the other things. Do we approach them with blind faith? Ah, whatever they said, I believe it's the truth. So think for a minute, you know, because we take refuge every day, many times a day. And uh, what are we doing? And why do we recite those Verses when we're taking refuge is the purpose just to praise the three jewels and uh, or you know why do we do that? What's the purpose? How does that help our mind?
and then a proper attitude or a good attitude for approaching the three jewels, then wish that also for sentient beings. so that all of us can really take in the teachings and uh, integrate them into our lives, practice them, and attain the awakened result. So what kind of attitudes do you want to have when you approach the three jewels? And does your projection of authority figures come up? Does the, the uh, mind of holding back, I'll be resistant until you convince me, come up? What? you know what what's actually going on and where would we like to be if i think about that once upon a time they were just as confused as i was mm -hmm. and that their level of realizations and their level of compassion understanding for our predicament makes me feel like I'm cared for by somebody who understands deeply mm -hmm. beyond what uh, my friends would or my family would, that they understand the circumstances in which I am bound to. And so that brings me a certain level of trust and respect for them mm -hmm. and, a, and a wish to kind of take their advice to heart and stop being so stupid. You know, I, I get really complacent when I forget that that's how much they care for me. Yeah. You know, and so that's that's the that's what I aspire to continue to develop is that deep respect and and uh, trust in how much they are there to support and encourage me along the path. Yeah, and how much we need that support and encouragement. Yeah, if we look at our situation clear-eyed. Mm -hmm. When I think of the three jewels, I think of healing. Think oh. of healing. Sealing. Healing. To heal. H oh healing. Pardon my English. Yeah. <laughs> Pardon my hearing. <laughs> yeah, so tell me about your sealing. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, what? Yeah. Explain that more. The healing part of it. What does that mean? Um, that their mind is 
what's the word for it? Uh, when I think of the three jewels, when I think of the Buddha, it's it's like when I see his holiness, you know, he's so calm and the mind is so peaceful and, you know, he's, he's like, nothing bothers him. Mm. So the mind is um, uh, extremely, I don't know, what's the word for it? Lost for words. Hmm? No, not unshakable. Uh, it's yeah, it's like, un- huh? no, like nothing bothers him. Yeah, you know it, he's not bothered by all these things, and he he has a very clear direction, and you know, and everything that he does has a purpose. Is not he's not being pulled by, it's, it's you know something whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, yesterday he was just like watching the students making sure they have their rise, and you know, so there's you know, ev- everything he does has a purpose. Yeah. So. It, just that being very conscious. Yeah, so that makes you have trust. Yeah, that yeah. Uh, it's possible. Yeah, and hope. Mm. Uh, trust more. Trust more. Mm. So when I was a baby nun, my fit in the triple jam was very, I mean, was very weak. And... I didn't, I didn't expect, I didn't have, um, but the longer I practice, the more I have an unshakable faith in the, the triple gems. And not only that, I, when I rely on the triple gem, I want to use that unshakable faith to, to make myself uh, my own refuge, my own anchor. So no matter what happened, my refuge is, I got very deepened and strengthened. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's not just like uh, some blind faith, but from uh, what since I've been um, I'm most allergy free from practicing the Dharma, I've been experiencing a lot of uh, the, the 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 Buddha teaching has a very profound impact on my health, my mental well being, and that's why it's increasing. That's why I have a very uh, deep sense of gratitude and respect mm-hmm. and. Uh, completely trust in the triple jam mm-hmm. and yeah. it's very very powerful yeah it helped me uh, my practice tremendously i realized as you as i was thinking about the question that you asked that i have spent a whole lot of my life looking for someone outside of me to take care of me oh it's been costly but you know it's been a, really that kind of search mm-hmm. and uh recognizing just with that question it's like oh that's solved now i i know where the care Mm. is and i have deep confidence and rest kind of a rest in that Mm -hmm. so it's taken a very 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 long time to come to that in my relationship with the buddha dharma and sangha but i and anyway it's a nice surprise to be able to say that Yeah. yeah yeah it's so much a part now of my mind and my, yeah, I can't even describe it. But anyway, I don't have that external need anymore. It's handled. Yeah. Thank you, Three Jewels. Yeah. And maybe the the way the need was has changed too because uh, you realize that looking for external people is a dead end. Yeah. 
So your mind is clearer about that, about where to go for refuge. Yeah, and also from practicing what I've taught, then then, then that need is no longer, I mean, not only is it a dead end, it's not even a, really a need mm-hmm. anymore. Of course, I'm dependent on others, but it's a very, very different thing. Wanting somebody to take care of you. For me, I think it's the only thing that I've really had in my life that... Um, no matter where my mind is or what I'm doing, if I apply what is what is taught, then um, I get out of that place. Mm-hmm. So I have uh, I have a lot of conviction in the infallibility of this path, and I know that I. Uh, lose my way, I am afflicted, all of these things. But when I um, go in that direction, it never fails me. And that's the only thing in life that that's true um, for me. Yeah, that's never going to flake out on you. Yeah, Tracy? This will be the last comment. I think um, humility came to mind. Mm -hmm. Because um, the triple gem have realizations and the Buddha's achieved full enlightenment and knows where I am relative to to that state. And I don't, but (laughs) I I get a a feeling. So I think um, humility and and respect for for what they've done because I know how hard it is. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah, I think the humility is is quite an important thing that we you know because we we come with knowing what samsara is and really wanting to get out of it and recognizing how deeply embedded in samsara we are, and that how can you be arrogant when you when you're deeply embedded in samsara it's just like impossible so um you know that kind of humility makes us open and, and receptive yeah to what the three you know to the teachings and everything instead of you know people who come yeah so tell me about it. I was in, I was giving a talk in San Quentin one time, and they had a bunch of guys who were, you know, new, and they had told me about the uh, the people who are locked up for life really make a life in their prison, and the young guys are kind of well, we're going to get out, so <laughs> who cares. You know, they don't listen so well. So I was giving this talk. So one guy kind of saunters in. You know, the the kind of, you know, young man, I'm, I'm big stuff, gate. Yeah? So he kind of sauntered in, plopped himself down, stretched out his feet, folded his arms, and gave me the look of, okay, lady, what do you got to say? So I said something. 
you know, and I just started, I forget what I talked about that day. And it was really interesting because as I spoke, you know, his whole body language changed. Yeah. So, um, you know, that, that change in mind from you know, the kind of whatever to, oh, there's something here I need to know. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's important, really. You know, otherwise, uh, we don't really take, take the teachings to heart. Okay. So that, that humility, that interest, that faith, yeah, that feeling of, uh, of healing or conviction, yeah, that's all part of what we call the, the transforming Buddha nature, factors of the mind that can be increased and become, uh, part of the wisdom dharmakaya. But we'll come to that. First, we're going back to the Vibhasakas and the Satantras. You know those guys, yeah, who believe in partless particles and partless moments of time. Okay. Let's see what they have to say, huh? <laughs> You're sitting there, yeah. Okay, you know, okay, guys, you know, tell me Vasubandhu. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so the tenant schools put forth assertions about the disposition, okay? So this is the term in Tibetan, rig, and uh, it can be translated as disposition, trait, lineage, family, yeah, okay. I think, yeah, I chose disposition here because it's kind of, yeah, it's like your disposition. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Go, go try. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. They put forth assertions about the disposition that accord with their general presentation of the basis, path, and result of practice. So we hear those things, basic, basis, path, and result, a lot. So when you're looking at different systems or uh, even talking with people from different religions and approaches, see, you know, you'll understand what they're saying if you can figure out what the basis is of how they see things existing now, the path, that needs to be practiced to reach the result of liberation or peace or salvation or whatever you want to call it. Okay, so for the Varasikas, the Arya disposition is the mental factor of non-attachment that acts as a cause for its own result, the Arya path. 
Okay, so mental factor of non-attachment. Remember, non-attachment doesn't mean I don't care about anything. I'm not attached to anything. It's, you know, a, uh, a clearer mind that knows that there's nothing worth clinging to to start with. Okay. So non-attachment is not yeah it's it's a difficult english word because yeah we hear non-attachment and it's like yeah it's just like the guy that guy's just sitting there i'm not attached to anything yeah but that's that's not what it means in buddhism it's not the mental factor okay so it acts as a cause for its own result which is the arya path since vibhasakas emphasize craving as a formidable cause of cyclic existence. Yeah, it makes sense that they assert non-attachment as both the antidote to craving and the disposition in sentient beings that has the potential to bring the realizations of the Arya path and liberation. Okay, so do you remember when we... Uh, uh, earlier in this volume, when we did the four truths, and uh, we talked about true dukkha, and what was the example used in all the syllogisms, talking about the four attributes of true dukkha? Now, it wasn't the example, but in all the, um, no, it was, you know, what is it? Okay, I'm going to give you a hint. What page to go back to? I'm asking for for what is the uh, um, when this we had syllogisms about each of the four attributes. What was it that was the subject of the syllogism? Oh, I'm t I'm sorry. I'm not. Uh, I'm not talking. I'm talking about the origin craving. Yeah. Yeah, the five aggregates are the ones, are the example for true dukkha. Sorry. Yeah, so it's craving. So this is why craving is pointed out here, you know, as uh, the thing, the chief thing that needs to be eliminated. Yeah, we have the slogan... Um, there's a some song, you know, love makes the world go round. Yeah, it was the kind of song my parents liked. And um you know, in Buddhism it's craving makes the world go round. You know, craving is just the force behind all of the rebirths and all of the craving for another rebirth. So um even though ignorance is the root affliction craving is pointed to in all the examples. Okay, so in that case, it makes sense that attachment, non-attachment is seen as the counterforce to, to craving. Okay, so it's the counterforce or antidote to craving, and that non-attachment in sentient beings is the disposition, yeah, the, that has the potential to bring the realization of the Arya path and its result, liberation. 
Okay. So contentment with what we have and lack of greed for what we do not have are the source of the Arya's pristine wisdom. So contentment and lack of greed are going to be qualities of non-attachment. Uh, oh, we came across that thing of contentment last way, didn't we? Contentment and few desires. Mm. Gee, how am I ever going to do that? I want so many things. I need so many things. Okay. So we're just at the Vibhashikas and Satantrikas, and already we're saying, no way. <laughs> just wait. Okay, so contentment with what we have and lack of greed for what we do not have are the source of the Arya's pristine wisdom. So a few examples, you know, we think, oh, uh, attachment. Oh, that's for things like money and a yacht, and uh, a corner office, and a write-up about how wonderful I am in the new, you know, uh, in the news, and some recognition and some praise, you know, maybe a, a um, what do you call it, when you get a degree, uh, an honorary, yeah, you get an honorary degree, so you have a whole wall full of all your honorary degrees, and maybe one real one, too. Um, okay. So, uh, so we think that's what attachment is to those kind of things. I want to offer some other objects of attachment, Okay because it's come up in the community. Attachment to, then well, Jigme, what's the name of that artificial sweetener that causes cancer? Um, Is that as, as part? Yeah, something like that. Anyway, there's this uh, artificial sweetener that they found now has caused cancer. Yeah. So some people may be a little bit attached to that sweet flavor or whatever flavor that sweetness gives, even though you know that it can cause cancer, but it tastes so good. Yeah? So attachment to that. How about attachment to double-ply soft toilet paper? Yeah, that's come up too. We like that. We don't want to be told, oh, I can't have that kind of toilet paper. Uh, remember at the beginning of COVID when toilet paper was in short supply? Oh, my goodness, were we attached to toilet paper. So my point is, in the right condition, we can or right circumstances, we can be attached to anything. Yeah? You go to hang the laundry out, and there's no clothespins, or the clothespins that are there are broken. 
Why don't we have proper clothespins? We need proper clothespins. We should get them immediately. Huh? Oh, otherwise, how are we going to hang everybody's underwear? You know, not to mention their robes. So really, it's, you know, and it's so interesting to see what we're attached to one day and if we really remember it the next day. Mm -hmm. Okay. So contentment with what we have and lack of greed for what we don't have. While non-attachment in the mind stream of an ordinary person is polluted in that it is associated with ignorance, when it is associated with an Arya's pristine wisdom, it is unpolluted. Yeah, because the Arya's pristine wisdom realizes emptiness. Gunaprabha's Sutra on the Code of, uh, of Ethical Conduct. This is uh, one of the main... Um, Vinaya text followed in the Tibetan tradition. So this text explains that Aryas with the disposition have four qualities. Okay, so the first three go together. They are satisfied. Oh, there it is again. They're satisfied with whatever food and drink, shelter, and robes they have. Food and drink, uh, are we satisfied with that? Yeah? Okay, well, we'll... Really good pastries today. Oh, but uh, what about when you don't have really... I didn't have good pastry. I didn't have any pastry. Oh, but I'm satisfied without it. It's okay. <laughs> I ate cookies instead. Uh, Okay, so um, satisfied with food and drink. Shelter, you know, the room we have. Are we satisfied with our room? Are you satisfied with your roommate? Oh, my goodness. No, I hate the room because I don't want to be with the roommate. Okay. Or I love, I love the room. I don't like the roommate. I love the roommate, but I can't stand the room. Yeah, it's too cold. It's too hot. Yeah, and all that equipment driving up right past my window. Oh. Okay, I mean, look where Geshe is living, what he has going up and back in front of him. Yeah. Okay, then shelter, yeah, so that's shelter and robes. Yeah. Oh, I'm just ordaining. I want new robes. Can't I have new robes? I'm a new nun. I should have new robes. Uh, no, sorry. You get old robes. That's how it's done. Because you're supposed to be developing contentment with what you have. Okay, so I have old robes. Uh, but I, I want a jola that had, that's from uh, 
Uh, well, let's see. What do I want the Jola from? Does it have Tibetan nuns project insignia? Maybe Drepong Losaling? Maybe Sarah J. Yeah. Oh, maybe the Tantra College. Oh, that'll give me more status. Okay. So, you know, it's really developing contentment with all these things. When you go to Dharamsala, or at least when I lived there, you could see each, uh, like each year, what the in thing was that the monastics wanted. You know? Um, some years it was a certain kind of jola. Then the in thing was Nike shoes. Uh, you remember that? Everybody wanted Nike shoes. Yeah. I mean, you have to have some status. Yeah. So I haven't been to Dharamsala for a while. I don't know what the latest one is. But uh, but it's interesting how how that happens. Okay. You know, we're okay with everything else, but we always pick out something where I can be an individual and kind of, you know, have something real nice. Okay, and then, the, so those are the first three. And then the fourth one is they take joy in meditation and in overcoming what is to be abandoned. That makes sense. So the first three qualities are the means to actualize the Arya path. Okay, so that's how they're, they're the foundation. Yeah, of course we need wisdom too, et cetera, et cetera. But those three are the foundation that are going to, uh, help us get to the Arya path. I mean, when you're an Arya, do you ever see greedy Aryas? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I just realized emptiness. You should make bigger offerings to me. I hope I never hear that. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that would actually be what, what a realization of emptiness would bring. Okay. So the first three qualities are the means to actualize the Arya path. And the last one, taking joy in meditation and in abandoning what is to be abandoned, um, that is the actual cause to generate the realizations of the Arya path that bring true, true cessation. So that's the unpolluted, pristine wisdom. The first three are also the means to exhaust the sense of I and mine. Okay, now why is that? Well, my food, my drink, my shelter, my comfort, my robes, my, 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 my. Yeah. <laughs> and I, 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 I. Yeah. So when we are able to, to tame that attachment, yeah, it, it helps to exhaust the sense of I and, I, I and mine. Hmm? Okay. Um, but the last one, taking joy in meditation and overcoming what is to be abandoned is the actual antidote. 
Everyone seeking liberation or full awakening cultivates these four qualities in order to attain their goal. So, if liberation and full awakening is our goal, that, yeah, we have to work on these. Yeah. Well, I'll eat this delicious dessert today and I'll start working on my attachment tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're on board with that? It sounds good. Yeah, no resistance to that. Mm, good. Okay. <laughs> According to Sautantrikas, the disposition is the potential or seed for the arising of the unpolluted mind, the pristine wisdom of the Aryas. So here you see, whenever we're talking about the Arya disposition, we're talking about seeds, latencies, potentials. Yeah. All sentient beings have this potential because all of them at one time or another have experienced happiness. This is their argument for showing that everybody has the potential. It's what everybody at one time or another has experienced happiness. Since happiness is the result of virtue, Everybody has created virtue and has the potential to create virtue. Okay. And thus has the potential for the unpolluted mind because if they have virtue now and they've created virtue in the past, then they must have the potential for the unpolluted mind as well. This potential is nourished through learning, reflecting, and meditating on the Dharma in the present life. However, if someone's root of, roots of virtue are cut by his or her engagement in extremely destructive actions, this seed cannot go, grow and may even be destroyed. Okay, so we have this potential. What nourishes it? Yeah, hearing or learning the teachings, reflecting and thinking about them, and meditating on them. So we definitely need those three. Yeah, I mean, this is all getting laid out. And, you know, if we really see how all these different elements are important, you know, that there, that some things are the potential and then some things are the things that grow the potential. Yeah, then we know what we need to do. Yeah. Okay. But if somebody's roots of virtue are cut because they uh, engage in extremely negative action, uh, causing schism in the Sangha, for example, yeah, oh. teaching what is not the Dharma, but pretending it is the Dharma. Yeah, misleading people on the path. All these kinds of things are, are, you know, killing Aryas. All these kinds of things are like real, real, the really horrible kinds of uh, deeds that uh, destroy virtue big time. In general, Vibhasakas and Satantrakas assert that only sentient beings who will become wheel-turning Buddhas, 
and we heard about wheel turning at lunch. In other words, Buddhas that initially teach the Dharma in a time and place where it is absent. So like Shakyamuni Buddha. Uh, so only sentient beings who will become wheel-turning Buddhas will attain full awakening. All other sentient beings will attain arhatship. At the time they have completely abandoned all afflictive obscurations, arhats attain nirvana with remainder, the remainder being their polluted bodies um, pollu produced by afflictions and karma that they were born with. Remember we talked about the different kinds of nirvana? This was one of them. When they pass away from that life and shed their polluted, polluted bodies, they attain the nirvana without remainder. At this time, the polluted aggregates no longer remain and the continuity of the mental consciousness is severed, which precludes their entering the bodhisattva vehicle and attaining full awakening. Okay? So that, that explains a little bit about the Vibhasaka and Satantraka, you know, when they talk about who can become a Buddha and everybody else becomes an arhat. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, becoming an arhat is certainly good. It's much better than where we're at right now. Okay. Uh, and for people who, who have that disposition, who want that, then that's what they go for. We, uh, met the Mahayana tradition early on and are learning it, and we're still here. So we must have some attraction to the Mahayana ideal and the Bodhisattva vehicle, huh? Yeah. As self-centered as we can be, sometimes there is this attraction to great compassion and bodhicitta. Yeah, if there wasn't, we would have all gone to other centers and other teachers by now. Okay, so that's the Vibhasakas and Satantrakas. Now we're moving full speed ahead to the Chittamadrans, the Yogacharyas. Okay, so there's two branches of the Yogacharyas, the ones that are scriptural proponents, that's a Sangha and, and his crowd, and the ones that are, um, are uh, reasoning proponents. Um, so that would be Dharmakirti, right? Okay, so in Mahayana literature, Buddha nature or Buddha disposition, okay, here's the, the Sanskrit Buddha Gotra, is discussed from three perspectives, the Chidamadra or Yogacarya, uh, Madhyamaka and uh, Vajrayana. All three, so all three of those are Mahayana traditions. All three speak of the naturally abiding Buddha disposition and the transforming Buddha disposition. So there's two of them, okay? Natural abiding. And then the one, it says transforming, it means uh, what is developed, what is transformed from being kind of average 
into something that is a, a very great, wonderful quality. So according to the Chittamatras, as explained by Asanga in the Compendium of the Mahayana, Buddha disposition is the latency, seed, or potency that has existed since beginningless time and has the potential to give rise to the three bodies of the of a Buddha. Okay, so it's existed from beginningless time, and it has that potential to give rise. What are the three bodies of the Buddha? Dharmakaya, Sambhokakaya, Nirmanakaya. Okay. And they have different branches within those. Okay. So a conditioned phenomena, the Buddha disposition. So that means the Buddha disposition is an impermanent phenomena. Okay. It's the seed of the unpolluted, pristine wisdom. The seed of that wisdom. Uh, It isn't that manifest wisdom. It isn't the fully developed wisdom. It's the potency in the mind to develop it. Okay. I want to pause here and go back to what I was saying before because um, it is very easy sometimes when we hear Buddha nature, Buddha nature, to think of it like a soul. Yeah. Oh, there's something in me that is beginningless. It's pure from the beginning. Yeah. The very essence of me is pure. Yeah. And it's permanent. That purity is not going to change. Yeah. If you grew up, with belief in a soul, yeah, it's very easy that Buddha nature sounds like a soul, a good version of the soul, not one that can go to hell, but one, you know, that can become a Buddha. It's permanent, it's your essence, it's pure, it, yeah, that purity doesn't change. The Buddha nature is not going to go away. Doesn't it? Okay. So we have to be careful of that. It's so easy to slip into that way of thinking, especially if you've been brought up with it as a child. Yeah. Okay. A conditioned phenomena, the Buddha disposition, is the seed of unpolluted, pristine wisdom. Saying the Buddha disposition is a latency fits in well with the Chittamadra school's assertion that everything arises as a result of latencies on either the foundation consciousness or the mental consciousness. Okay, so this fits right in with what they're saying. So of the, the two branches of Chittamadra, who says the latencies are on the foundation consciousness? The sutra proponents. And who says it's on the, men, the latencies are on the mental consciousness? 
Yeah, the reasoning proponent. So with this latency of the unpolluted, pristine wisdom, when this latency of the unpolluted, pristine wisdom has not yet been nourished by learning, reflecting, and meditating, it is called the naturally abiding Buddha disposition because it is beginningless. Okay, so it's impermanent. It's the naturally abiding Buddha disposition and is beginningless. When that same same latency has been nourished by learning, reflecting, and meditating on the Dharma, it is called the transforming Buddha disposition. It is the same latency, the difference being whether or not it has been activated by means of Dharma practice. So you can see it's saying that we have this incredible potential, but it needs to be activated. Okay, and you don't activate it the same way you activate your credit card by calling a certain number and it gets activated, okay? So it's not like that. It's through hearing, thinking, and meditating about the teachings that it gets activated. But you can kind of see that, can't you, in yourself and in others, that as you learn more and think about the Dharma, then something's getting transformed in your mind. Yeah, and you, and you get more and more interested in, in liberation, awakening. You want to, to go in that direction. So yeah, that's all signs of the potency being activated. Initially, as the naturally abiding Buddha nature, it is a simple latency that has three characteristics. It has existed since beginningless time and continues from one life to the next uninterruptedly. Oh, it must be permanent. No, it's not. It is not newly created, but is naturally present. Oh, it's my real essence. No, it's not that either. (laughs) It is carried by the foundation consciousness, according to the Chidamadra scriptural proponents, and by the mental consciousness, or the sixth consciousness, according to the Chidamadra reasoning proponents. Well, okay. We say, okay, but it's still a soul. Hmm. Yeah, it's carried. It's this permanent thing that's a latency. Yeah, beginningless time. It's on my foundation, uh, foundational consciousness that carries it from one life to the other. It never gets lost. It doesn't change. It's the essence of me. Yeah, so I'm truly existent. Mm-hmm. This, you see how this all fits in with the Chidamadra presentation. Yes. Because they say the mind is truly existent. Okay. And the, the Buddha nature is truly existent too, but it's impermanent. Okay. So, uh, so this is so about what, what, uh, carries the, Latency, um, it's on the mental consciousness, or that's the foundation uh, of all, all sometimes called um, 
the storehouse consciousness. Yeah. So that that's because the sensory consciousnesses are unstable and only intermittently present. So they can't carry any latencies or seeds or anything uh, because they're not continually present, functioning all the time. When the naturally abiding Buddha nature is awakened and transformed by means of learning, reflecting, and meditating, it brings the realization of the Arya path, and at that time, it is called the transforming Buddha disposition. Okay. In particular, when meditation on great compassion has progressed to the point where the great resolve has taken responsibility to work for the welfare of all sentient beings, when that great resolve arises, the Mahayana disposition has been awakened. Okay, we, are, we hear a lot about awakening the Mahayana disposition. Yeah, and uh, here... You know, what is it? It's the point. When you're, when you're doing the seven-point cause and effect, the step before bodhicitta is the great resolve when you're taking the responsibility to work for the benefit of sentient beings and to liberate them. So you're almost at bodhicitta. Yeah? You just have to do the thing of, oh, therefore I better work on myself. And you know, attain full awakening to carry out what this great resolve is. Okay. So that's nice to think, isn't it? When uh, our meditation on great compassion has progressed to that point, then we've awakened the Mahayana tradition, the Mahayana disposition. So, uh, have we awakened it now? No, we're just kind of trying to nurture. It is still in a late a seed. We're nurturing it little by little by little. And sometimes we're shoving it down in the mud little by little too. Aren't we? Yeah. Oh my, I have the great compassion today. It's Chukorduchin, the you know, turning the wheel of Dharma day. Oh, I have a great compassion. <sighs> Except it's so hot out. Who made it this hot? Oh, it's global warning, warming. All those companies and their fuel production makes the climate hot. I'm angry at them. Yeah. Okay, me, I, I, I have no role in, in global warming. You know, I just travel in the car a little bit, you know, buy those products and let my water run, uh, you know, off the faucet, just while I talk to somebody and uh, leave the lights on. And I have nothing to do with, with the with global warming, but those companies, oh my goodness. Yeah. Hmm. I'm trying to remember what I read. Okay, I won't go into that. Okay. 
Um, citing the Sutra Unraveling the Thought, the Samdhinirodhana Sutra, the Chittamatra scriptural proponents assert three final vehicles, the Shravaka and solitary realizer vehicles that culminate in our hardship, and the Bodhisattva vehicle that brings full awakening. So we're, when we talk about the three vehicles, these are the three vehicles. The Shravaka, the solitary realizer, and the Bodhisattva. The three vehicles are not Vipassana, Zen, and Vajrayana. Okay? This is a huge misunderstanding in this country. Okay, not this country, the West in general. So the doctrine of the three final vehicles states that once Shravaka and solitary realizer practitioners attain arhatship, they will abide in meditative equipoise on emptiness forever and will not later enter the Mahayana and attain full awakening of Buddhahood. In other words, they wanted liberation, they have it, you know, it's totally blissful abiding in, in that meditation on the nature of reality. And you've attained what you've wanted to attain. Um, and so you stay in that for forever. Yeah, enjoying the bliss of nirvana. Yeah, when we talk about the non-abiding nirvana, it's that's the nirvana that's attained by the bodhisattvas. I should, the bodhisattvas seek that, the Buddhas attain it. Okay. Uh, and because that doesn't abide in either this self complacent peace of our hardship or in samsara. So it's non abiding in that way. Okay. The Chitta Mantra scriptural proponents um, base this on their belief that there are five, their basis uh, on, you know, there being three final vehicles, okay? They base, base this on their belief that there are five types of disposition, okay? Shravaka, solitary realizer, bodhisattva. Hmm, so far, so good. Indefinite. What's that? And severed. Okay? So here, disposition connotes a source of excellent qualities, and each sentient being has the latency for one of those five dispositions. Okay? The latency is an internal predisposition that exists naturally in each sentient being's foundation consciousness that inclines him or her towards a particular spiritual path. Hmm. It abides naturally, but there's five different kinds. How come there's five different kinds? Yeah, but it's beginningless. So these five are beginningless, and there's no creator, but there are five different ones. How'd that happen? Hmm? Causeless. Causeless. 
Causeless. Oh, yes, causeless. Yes, God created them. Something. No, God's a cause. They appeared out of nowhere. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so it, it has some uncomfortable feeling there. Yeah, where did it come from? How come there's five different kinds? How come, you know, if everybody's had beginningless lives and we've all been everything, then how come there's five different kinds of of disposition? Yes. But each each sentient being gets to have only one of it. Uh, I was going to say that, (laughs) except... The indefinite one mm-hmm. can have more than one. Not more than one. It will be independent for a while, and eventually it will become definite, either of the three. Yeah, but but so it's indefinite, and eventually it will become one of the three. Definite ones. Yeah, a definite. So that's what I mean. It, it, but at any given time, they only have to have... At, at any given time, time they only have one. <laughs> okay, but they can change. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, Okay, so um, people display certain signs that are indicative of their Buddha disposition. Those with the Shravaka disposition have strong determination to be free from samsara. They avoid non-virtue and purify destructive karma. They are moved by teachings on the four truths and they live ethically. Okay. So do you know people like that? Some of your Theravada friends? Yeah. Strong determination to be free of samsara. Avoid non-virtue, purify destructive karma, move by the teachings on the, on the four truths, and they live ethically. But mm, not much interest in bodhicitta. Yeah. Not any interest in bodhicitta. Yeah, when I was in uh, in Thailand at that one on, uh, monastery, there was one. Uh, several of the monks were quite interested in bodhicitta and asked me questions. There was another monk. He had a kind of curious attitude. Um, he said, "You know." I, we just follow the, the Pali scriptures. Those are the real things that the Buddha said. Nagarjuna, he lived, you know, five, six centuries after the Buddha. So what he's teaching is just, you know, it's added stuff. It's not the pure thing that the Buddha taught. And that was one of his things. Another monk I met said, uh, you know, bodhisattva, that's, it sounds nice, but it's just really too hard. It's too hard. And then, you know, you talk about three countless great eons. I don't want to be in samsara for three countless great eons before attaining awakening. Yeah. So, I mean, they definitely have virtuous motivations, for sure, wanting to be free of samsara, living ethically, you know, very strict on on the uh, Vinaya. Yeah. But so so they know what they want and they go for it. Hmm? Okay. Um, 
They avoid uh, those with the shrewd. Okay. They take uh, the Pradimoksha precepts with the aspiration for their own liberation and dedicate all the merit from their practice for this goal. So the Pratimoksha precepts, from your five lay precepts all the way through full ordination, these are held in common with people who practice the Shravaka and solitary realizer vehicles. Okay, these are not Mahayana ordinations. So that's why when we, you know, when you take monastic ordination, the the foundation. Uh, motivation you need is the aspiration to be free of samsara. But, of course, we encourage people to have bodhicitta on top of that. But they say the, the bottom line is you have to have that, the renunciation of samsara. Those having the solitary realizer disposition have few afflictions and weak compassion. So they dislike busyness and prefer solitude. Teachings on the twelve links of dependent origination touch them deeply, and they meditate primarily on this. Okay, so the Srivakas, four noble, four truths, Pratyaka Buddhas, the twelve links. Like Srivakas, they purify destructive karma, create constructive karma, and have strong determination to be free from samsara. Their motivation and dedication are directed towards the liberation of an Arya realizer arhat. Okay. Then the third disposition: those with the ma, with the bodhicitta, with the bodhisattva or Mahayana disposition, are naturally empathetic and compassionate. Hmm. That doesn't mean they're always empathetic and compassionate. But, you know, you see some children uh, who who really care about animals, you know, or children who don't want to fight uh, with the other kids in the playground. Uh, yeah, so, so kids like that. But, the you know, they have that kind of disposition. You know, of course, they throw their own temper tantrums, but they, they have that. You can see what's with them. And then you have other kids, and their natural disposition is just to act out and create chaos. And then we have all sorts of other dispositions, too, of, of children. Okay? So, um, yeah, those with the bodhisattva or Mahayana disposition are naturally empathetic and compassionate. They purify and abandon non-virtue, create virtue. So far, just like the other ones, they take the Pradimoksha precepts, just like the other ones, and the Bodhisattva precepts. Yeah, and when they take the Pradimoksha precepts and Bodhisattva precepts, they take it with the aspiration to attain full awakening of a Buddha. Okay, seeking to work for the welfare of sentient beings, they practice the six perfections and have fortitude to engage in the bodhisattva's deeds. Their motivation and dedication is for the attainment of Buddhahood. Okay. The Pali tradition also has a bodhisattva path, and they also have uh, ten perfections. 
And when you look at the, the two lists and ten perfections, there's a lot of overlap. And even when the terms are different, the meaning very often comes to the same point. It's quite beautiful. We'll get into this in volume five. Uh, you know, and in the Buddha Vamsa, there's a whole story of Shakyamuni Buddha in a previous life and how he, you know, uh, kind of, yeah, just how his Mahayana disposition was awakened. We'll get to that. <laughs> I don't, not telling you when. So persons of these three dispositions are definite in their path. They will not change vehicles, but will proceed to the attainment of their own vehicle. Yeah. So I want to become an arhat. Uh, that's a shravaka. They do that. Yeah. I want to become a Buddha. Yeah. They do that. They don't switch around. Uh, at present... It is, okay, then, uh, okay, at present it is, uh, uncertain which vehicle those of indefinite disposition will enter. Depending on the spiritual mentor they meet and the Buddhist teachings they learn in the future, they will develop an inclination towards one vehicle or another. Yeah. So this person, according to Jija Madras, doesn't have you know, a fixed, a definite disposition. But according, you know, to the teachers they meet, according to the teachings they hear, they will be, they'll figure their way out. Okay? So if you look around, you know, uh, this is the situation, it seems like, of a lot of people. Not everybody. Some people meet a tradition, meet a teacher, you know, it just clicks with them and they, they go in that direction. Then there's other people, they're going to this center, then they go to that center, they do this practice, then they do that practice, you know, they're the 31 flavors, yeah? And then finally they kind of settle in, in something, and that's when they have a definite... Uh, disposition to one of the three vehicles. I find it quite interesting. You know, people who start out with Shravaka, solitary realizer, becoming, um, you know, kind of more inclined towards that, but still it's indefinite. You know, them becoming Mahayana, uh, that makes very good sense to me, okay? People who start out as Mahayana, and then go, you know, to the Shravaka and solitary realizer. I find that quite interesting. Like, how did that happen? Because yeah. I know people who, who have, um, yeah, who started out with the Mahayana. I mean, we had one person here, started out with Mahayana and then became uh, a Theravada nun. Yeah. And then, you know, we know other people that start out with, uh, you know, maybe Goenka and then they wind up here. So it is quite interesting, you know, this idea of indefinite. Uh, and then 
you know, according to the conditions they meet in their life, something clicks for them, which is good. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, instead of 31 flavors, you're doing 135 flavors, trying everything. Yeah. Okay. So now, yeah. those whose lineage is severed, okay, incantikas, incantikas. I hope that's the proper pronunciation. So those beings have engaged in extremely destructive actions or strongly adhered to pernicious wrong views. Okay? So we see a lot of people like that around now, you know, not just playing with with wrong views or harmful views, but really stuck in them. Yeah. So they have little merit, great negativity, and lack integrity and consideration for how their actions affect others. Think about that. You know, who you see who kind of embodies that. Not wishing to abandon non-virtue and lacking insight into the unsatisfactory nature of samsara, they have no interest in liberating themselves or others. You know, spirituality, forget it. The eight worldly dharmas, that's my life. Okay, even if they dabble in the Dharma, their motivation is one seeking the pleasures of samsara. Oh, I want to become a Buddhist teacher. Those people don't have to work nine to five and they just put out their bowl and join the free lunch club and get some money too. <laughs> okay. People do all sorts of crazy things. I mean, I make crazy examples, but when you travel and when you meet a lot of different people, you find that these crazy examples are embodied in some people's lives, and it's really, really sad. Okay, having cut their roots of virtue, they are in a state where either temporarily or perpetually they cannot attain liberation or awakening. So some are in that state temporarily, meaning that at some point maybe they change their ways and they start creating virtue and doing purification, uh, or perpetually they just keep the slippery slope is never ending for them, and they just keep sliding down it. Yeah. Okay, so because the the uh, Chitta Mantras uh, scriptural proponents say that there's different um, that there's three final vehicles, then they have assertions about these five lineages. And then they can say, oh, there's, you know, one 
one people, one group of people, and they really don't have any lineage for anything. Yeah. So this perspective on the Buddha disposition and on three final vehicles is supported by Chittamadra tenets. Because a being's disposition is truly existent, it cannot change into the disposition of another vehicle. Okay. Since it can bring only the result of its respective vehicle, there must be three final vehicles. Okay. Except for the indefinite one, then that person can find where they are, what vehicle they're in, but once they choose it, they're on the way to that goal. Our B- Buddha disposition may be impeded uh, may be impeded from manifesting when great attachment or strong afflictions overwhelm our minds, and when we are too busy to be interested in spiritual practice or don't see the faults of the afflictions. Okay, when great compassion or strong afflictions overwhelm our minds, do we think of the Dharma at all? Yeah, when the, you know, when the afflictions are not so strong, yes, Dharma can get in there. But when the afflictions are just overpowering, then they overpower the mind. We don't think of the Dharma. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, think of it. Have you ever had that kind of state? You've been so angry and so sunk in your anger that, you know, no thought of the Dharma arises. Okay, so that can impede our Buddha disposition from manifesting. When we're too busy to be interested in spiritual practice, you know, because I'm going to all the the rallies, the political rallies, and, oh, and Barbie is the latest thing. Oh, uh, I don't... I, I don't know. I'm feeling so sick to my stomach about this. You know, but everywhere you look, it's Barbie, Barbie. I think somebody made a movie about Barbie. So everything, not everything, but many things, this bright pink, you know, and everybody's talking about Barbie, Barbie. Yeah, so when you're too, you know, you're totally involved with Barbie. (laughs) Yeah. I, I don't know more than what I told you because I'm, I, I have some aversion to Barbie, you know, when, because for me, that kind of thing is, is so, that is what really makes a lot of girls and women screwed up. That image of what you're supposed to be is Barbie with a waist that's this big. Yeah. Top that's this big. <laughs> And a medical degree. And a medical degree. Oh, she has a medical degree? Oh. Okay, maybe she was a secretary and then she went back to school. I don't know. Yeah. But Ken, I don't know anything about Ken except his name. But, you know, for to be attracted to somebody like Barbie? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, she was born like that. (laughs) She was born wearing high heels. Yeah. 
that's really good for your legs, you know? Yeah, we should take Barbie for a walk in the forest. <laughs> oh, yeah, we we do have Barbie. Yeah. She's, she renounced. She's wearing robes. Yeah. But we couldn't get her to cut. Oh, we do. And we couldn't get her to get completely shave her head, only part of it. Yeah. We got it really short, but not. Yeah. Oh, poor Barbie. Okay, but we're too busy, you know, running around with the with the whatever is the latest thing is, the latest music, the latest movies, the latest this, that, the other thing. Keep up with your friends. Know all, everything that's happening, and that's what you talk with your friends about. And Tony Bennett just died, but nobody of this, you know, nobody who's with it knows who in the world Tony Bennett is. Yeah. They might because Lady Gaga. Oh yeah. That's right. Yeah, Lady Gaga and Tony did did something. Yeah. I do have to record um, I left my heart in San Francisco. What? Oh they did. I left my heart in San Francisco. Oh goodness. Okay. A young one, how many of you know who Tony Bennett is? Oh, is that because you know who Yogi? Uh, <laughs> Lady Gaga, may she <laughs> may she become Yogi Gaga? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What? No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So we're too busy yeah, to be interested in spiritual practice, or we don't see the faults, the afflictions. You know, my attachment, great. It gets me what I want. My anger is great. It gets rid of all the people interfering me, interfering with me getting what I want. Yeah. So, you know, we can see how easily it is to, you know, keep our, our Buddha disposition from, from manifesting. Certain activities can stimulate our Buddha disposition. Learning and reflecting on teachings. Living. What? I, oh, yeah, I skipped a line. Okay. Um, Thinking our actions lack an ethical dimension and experiencing hindrances such as illness, poverty, or strong karmic obstructions also prevent our disposition from ripening. Okay, so my actions have no ethical concern. As long as I don't get caught, they're okay. And then what we would call the usual hindrances, illness, poverty, Things like that. But I was thinking the other day, you know, about precious human rebirth and, uh, and the qualities we, we need for that and what hinders that. And, you know, the one of, one of the uh, 18 to me seems to be really the key. And that's the one that is the interest in the Dharma. If you don't have the interest in the Dharma, 
then nothing else really counts or helps you. Yeah. If you have interest in the Dharma and you have an illness, you can manage the illness or the injury. You know, if you have interest in the Dharma and you're poor, you may be able to work around that, you know, and get some help. But if you don't have interest in the Dharma, then, yeah, the other ones, even if you have all other 17, yeah. Okay. So it's interesting because we usually think, oh, what are the really bad things you don't want to have happen in your life? You know, illness, injury, poverty. You know, those are the, oh, the people who have that. That's real suffering. We don't say, oh, the people who lack interest in the, in the Dharma in spiritual matters. That's the real suffering. It's interesting, isn't it? We don't count that somehow. But it's, I think that's the real key. Yeah. Yeah. And that one you can't make yourself have. You can create the causes for it, but you can't, like, okay, I'm going to have interest in the Dharma. <laughs> you know? That's Sankor. Okay, certain activities can stimulate our Buddha potential, our Buddha disposition. Learning and reflecting on teachings, living in an environment that is conducive to practice, like here, and abiding near our spiritual mentor or sincere practitioners. So deliberately putting ourselves in an environment that will nurture our interest. Yeah. Many people, you know, have a strong interest in the Dharma, and then they put themselves in a totally non-Dharma environment, and, and then say, oh, my practice has really disintegrated. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a reason for that, you know, when we, uh, you know, choose different environments because we, we are very influenced by our environment. Okay. Generating the aspiration for virtuous qualities, restraining our senses, abandoning non-virtue, receiving monastic ordination, purifying obscurations, and so on, also invigorate our Buddha disposition. So there's a set of things that suppress it and a set of things that activate it. Okay? So keep on generating that aspiration for virtuous qualities. Restrain our senses. Yeah? To really practice that, abandoning non-virtue, receiving monastic ordination, yeah, purifying obscurations. Those are just some of the things. Relying on the Lotus uh, Sutra, the very famous Mahayana Sutra, and the Tathagatagarbha Sutra, 
Chita Mandra reasoning proponents and all Madhyamikas assert one final vehicle. All sentient beings can enter the Bodhisattva vehicle and attain Buddhahood. The sublime continuum by Maitreya and, and Asanga's commentary on it speak of four types of people whose Buddha nature is defiled in that they are not yet ready to enter the Bodhisattva vehicle, uh, engage in the two collections, and progress on the path to full awakening. So for people who aren't ready yet, worldly people who are infatuated with dharma pleasure, with samsaric pleasure, clearly those people are, you know, they don't have interest in the, the collection of merit and the collection of wisdom and, you know, these kinds of things. Non-Buddhists who hold wrong views also aren't interested. They have their own philosophy. They support that. They teach it. They say that other people are heretics or, you know, fa falling off the edge of the world or whatever. Okay. And also shravakas and solitary realizers, yeah, because they have their own vehicle, their own aspirations. So they also discuss the specific, uh, this is uh, Maitreyana Sangha, they also discuss the specific obscurations that block these sentient beings and explain their antidotes. Here, in, in this context, his commentary on the sublime continuum, uh, Asanga reach, writes from a Madhyamaka viewpoint that holds that all sentient beings have the Buddha nature. Okay. Oh, we've gone too late already. Um, maybe a couple of questions? Um, in the four qualities um, discussed by uh, Gunaprabha, Mm hmm. Maybe I'm I'm interpreting this too broadly, but it's the statement of you know that they need that they are satisfied with whatever say robes they have. Mm -hmm. it, I almost interpret to say that oh, only monastics can become aryas, and I didn't think that that was generally mm -hmm. asserted. Um, so I've talked with some of my, my uh, Theravada friends about that. And uh, um, and they, there's different views. Within the Pali tradition, there's different views. But one view is you can become an arhat as a layperson, but you have to ordain within a week because the power of the arhatship uh, that realization is so strong that if you don't ordain, your aggregates cannot hold that. Yeah. But then other people say, no, that's not necessary. You can attain our hardship as, as a uh, layperson. This is other people in the Pali tradition. Yeah. Okay. Other questions? With um, those whose lineage is severed, mm -hmm. is that a permanent thing if these different mm -hmm. options are talked about, except for the indetermined one, as yeah. 
kind of were, you know, set in this stream. Mm-hmm. Um, is that, is that the yeah. same for folks whose um, lineage is severed? No, but it could be. It, the severed lineage could be um, just temporarily, you know, but because you uh, kind of get it together afterwards, or it could be perpetual and last. So you don't want to be one of those people. Hmm? Um, which, by the way, in, from the uh, most Madhyamaka, mad, especially people who practice Tantra, don't assert that kind of uh, person who is completely hopeless. So I'm sorry for all of you who think that, you know, you are completely hopeless and you're the worst one in the world. Um, I'm sorry to disappoint you. You really aren't. So change your self image. <laughs> yeah. I was just wondering about this last sentence that you read. Where does it come from that they assert the different tenant systems that a Sangha holds? You kind of think of them usually as Chittamatra, but I yeah. know I've heard that. His final yeah. viewpoint or something mm-hmm. is Madhyamaka, but where does that whole this is, notion uh, come from? Uh, well, I've heard it from the my Tibetan teachers, so I don't know if it's something that's orally passed down. It might also be written in some of the Tibetan texts. Yeah. It seems to indicate that his writings. And- yeah. The, well, yes, it, I mean... The thing is, a sangha didn't say, "Oh, I'm writing this text for the uh, based on this tradition, and now I'm writing another te- text based on the other one." Okay, it's just when people came along and studied these different texts, then they said, "Oh, he here he's speaking from this tradition, here he's speaking from that," and they often say that, like with Vasubandhu. Um, you know, his final thing was a Chita Madra, but he, his commentary on the Abhidharma uh, Kosho was Swatantrika. Yeah. And they say, well, he did that because he wanted to benefit the people who held the, the Swatantrika view. So even though that wasn't his final view, that's what he taught to benefit those people. But his final view was the Chita Madra. I think I'm remembering now that we learned something similar to this with Dharmakirti, that he speaks from a number of different yeah. things. Right? Yeah, yeah. Some some people say he's a Satandrika, other people say he's a Chittamadra. My understanding is that Asanga was uh, prophesied by the Buddha to be coming to clarify the Chittamadra view to benefit those people who has that disposition. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say that he is a Chittamadra, but he's prophesied to, to... To benefit those people. Yeah. To, yeah. to then... Uh, so then to Venerable Tapa's point that this part, then he writes from a Madhyamika point of view. That, that, that could be his final viewpoint, his whole personal viewpoint. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, if you're in different environments, 
with different kinds of people, you talk according in in a way that's going to communicate with them, even though that way of communication, uh, you know, isn't what you believe at at you know deeply. Yeah. So it, it's employing skillful means to to benefit others. Do you know how the Chittimatrans defend the five different types of dispositions in terms of how you you always say that um, they're not stupid? <laughs> so then, there must be how they defend that. Like, you know, how does that people come about to have this disposition that's set yeah. that? You know, a creator didn't give them to it. Yeah. That, the question I raised at the beginning, how come there's five and they're all different and how come different people have them? I have no idea. We got to find a Chittamadra who holds that view and asks them. Yeah. I, I don't know how, Geshila, do you know how they would defend that? You know, if they have somebody like us, if they have really polite people who don't ask these questions, they're okay. But if they have people like us who who push when we ask the question, what are they going to say? I think uh, that will all go back to Buddha's teachings. Hmm? Buddha's teachings. Buddha taught differently yeah. to different dispositions and like that. Right. And the, these uh, tenet schools have their origin in the Buddha's teachings, and yes. also uh, it has to do with what it fits with their disposition, with their yeah. way of thinking. Yeah. And uh, like like the Chittamadar school, between the two, the one who proposes these five categories is the one that is scriptural proponents. Mm -hmm. So they are kind of strictly following certain scriptures that they hold to be final in their perspective. Right. But I think her question is, if somebody comes along and says, okay, you set this out, my question is, how come there's five different lineages? That's your question. How come there's five? Where, Where did the five come from? How come different people have different dispositions? How would that person, how would that Chita Madra person answer that and convince her that it makes sense? That's your question, huh? Yeah. That person may not succeed in convincing her, <laughs> but, but uh, in his own thinking, he says, I, I trust in this, in the Buddha's teaching, teaching. this particular sutra says this, ah. and that makes sense to me. Okay. Yeah. So all they can say is from their own perspective why they hold that. Yeah, why they They hold. can't really answer the question. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. 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 Okay, let's dedicate... Yeah, the, Gisela, in, you know, in the West, when people can't answer a question satisfactory, satisfactorily, then we're, we become kind of skeptical of the whole thing. Yeah. So I, I make an announcement about next the next two weeks of class. Yeah. So 
Um, the next Samsara Nirvana Buddha Nature class will be on August 11, because next next week will be the Working with Afflictive Minds Retreat Part 2 with Geshe-la. And the week after that, there's no class because there's the in-house deity retreat. Mm-hmm. So the next um, Samsara Nirvana Buddha Nature class is August 11. Okay. Thank you for remembering that.